It's time for overtime. Stop what you're doing and listen. In the world of sports, it's all about the playmakers in today's headlines, from locals to the pros, with interviews from local standouts and sports all-stars across the country that will have you talking. Out of the pack, all the way in, slam, dunk, wow. Hear from coaches to players, sports analysts, and broadcasters who are a part of the action every day. Overtime, now with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO, Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Hour number two, just now underway. Very snowy conditions out in the 605. Please, if you're out on the road or about to be, take your time. Be prepared. Get your lights on and be safe out there because conditions continue to erode out there. Is, uh, of course, great road uh, work and the plowing crews do such a nice job. But again, when the snow is so fresh like this, it does take them time to get out and about and start to plow especially all of the side roads. So take your time, slow down, and be safe out on the road. Still to come this hour, we will talk Minnesota Twins here in just about 13 minutes with Chris Atterbury of the Minnesota Twins Radio Network. Get you the latest in a slew of NBA injuries, several of which popped up last night, and some storylines as the season now for most teams, less than 15 games remain in the regular season. And we will round out the show today by talking with auto racing legend Doug Wolfgang, as we're excited for that uh, conversation, including some insight into the world of NASCAR and auto racing. It's a very small one, as we'll find out with Doug, as he is very well tied in and connected with that auto racing world, even uh, though he's uh, no longer directly involved with area racing, still very knowledgeable and has plenty of great insights. We're excited to pick his brain about the latest NASCAR news and the latest news uh, regarding uh, World of Outlaws Racing, and much, much more. Your scorecard from last night, some notable scores in the NBA. Boston got off the schneid with a 115-93 win at home over Portland. Dallas falls in New Orleans, 113-106. And Phoenix, despite being shorthanded without Kevin Durant, who was injured in pregame warm-ups, got a win, 132-101 over OKC. Tonight in the NBA, the TNT game, 6-30. Grizzlies host the Warriors, 9 o'clock. Knicks at Kings. NHL finals from yesterday. The Wild got back on the right track. Get the win in Winnipeg. 4-2. 37-21-7. The new record for Minnesota. Chicago fell at Detroit 4-3. And tonight in the National Hockey League, two high-flying, high-scoring franchises do battle. Oilers at Bruins. That's the must-watch game of the night at 6-30. Kings visit the Avalanche in Denver at 8 o'clock. Big Ten Tournament Finals from yesterday. Ohio State 65-57 win over Wisconsin. And Minnesota on to the next round of the Big Ten Tournament with a 78-75 win over Nebraska. And today in the Big Ten Tournament, Rutgers and Michigan underway. Ohio State and Iowa at 1.30. Penn State and Illinois at 5.30. And Minnesota visiting or facing off with Maryland in Chicago at 8 o'clock. Uh, golf, the Players' Championship at TPC Sawgrass is underway. And, of course, the Girls' State South Dakota uh, High School Basketball Tournament uh, is underway. Class AA, Sioux Falls, Washington, currently on top of Watertown, 33-15. to They've got live stats available at sdhsaa.com. You'll just have to follow a few links and get the live stats there uh, for those contests. Again, Sioux Falls, Washington, and Watertown, the first game of the day from the Pentagon. Current score 33-15 with just over three minutes to go in the third quarter. 
Other matchups in Double A: Sioux Falls Jefferson's the four seed. Five seed is Mitchell. They'll match up at 145 this afternoon. Five o'clock this evening, the two seed Pier TF Riggs and Rapid City Stevens, the seven seed, will do battle. And 745, it's O'Gorman and Harrisburg from the Pentagon. O'Gorman the three, Harrisburg the six. Class single A, Hamlin the top seed. They're facing off with Flandreau. That's just now getting going. Uh, 12 o'clock noon tip-off. Four seed is Red Cloud. They take on five seed Lakota Tech at 145. Six o'clock the tip time between Wagner and Rapid City Christian. That's the 2-7 matchup respectively. And the 3-6 matchup respectively, Sioux Falls Christian and Sisseton tonight at 745. Lastly, down to the Bs now. We'll see Westington, the top seed. This is also a noon start time, battling Jones County, the eight. The four is Sully Buttes taking on fifth-seeded Wall at 145. Six o'clock start time between Ethan and Castlewood. That's the 2-7 matchup. And Viberg Hurley and Howard in the 3-6 matchup at 7.45 p.m. Again, live stats available at sdhsaa.com. Into your Alia Bank headlines of the day now. After 47 seasons, a Hall of Fame career has abruptly come to an end for head coach Jim Beheim at Syracuse. This was announced yesterday, just hours after the Orange fell 77-74 to Wake Forest on a buzzer-beating three-pointer at the ACC tournament. Syracuse announced that the associate head coach, Adrian Autry, who'd been on the staff since 2011, would be promoted to replace the 78-year-old Bayheim. After Wednesday's loss, Bayheim hinted that he would be retiring, but he said it was up to the university to decide his future. He says, as I've said from day one when I started working here, the university hired me, and it's their choice what they want to do. I've always had the choice of retirement, but it's their decision as to whether I coach or not. It always has been, and I've just been lucky to be able to coach this long. Bayheim later added, I gave my retirement speech last week, and nobody picked up on it. A little bit of an odd situation here with the way Bayheim phrased everything. It almost feels like he's being forced or asked to retire. Again, some would say that he overstayed his welcome. Others would say he's a pillar of the game. He could stay as long as he wants. And uh, finished with over 1,000 wins to just 441 losses. Also took Syracuse to the NCAA tournament 35 times in 47 seasons. Final four in five of those trips. Won the national title famously with Carmelo Anthony in 2003. Big news out of the football world these days. Again, has to do with Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. The New York Jets are becoming more confident in their chances of landing the veteran quarterback services. That's according to sources close to the situation, telling ESPN's Diana Rossini. The Jets' increasing optimism follows their meeting with Green Bay Packers quarterback earlier this week, a contingent of Jets team officials, including owner Woody Johnson, GM Joe Douglas, coach Robert Sala, and offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett, flew to California on Tuesday to meet in person. They were back early on Wednesday morning. The 39-year-old Rodgers has not made any announcements about what he intends to do this coming season. It's still possible he decides to retire or stay in Green Bay, but if he wants to play and he and the Packers agree it's time for him to go somewhere else, The Jets appear to be the most realistic option. If Rodgers leaves via trade, the Packers would get hit with a $40.3 million dead cap charge this season, nearly $9 million more than he would count if it were on the roster. Other NFL news, the likelihood is the New York Giants are not done making big moves this offseason. Of course, one day after signing quarterback Daniel Jones to a four-year deal worth $160 million, General Manager Joe Schoen said that the team has made offers to running back Saquon Barkley. Barkley, of course, 
got the franchise tag before the deadline to retain his services. They're still working on a long-term extension. Schoen also said the team has begun negotiations with standout defensive tackle Dexter Lawrence. He's slated to play on his fifth-year option at $12.4 million. Tough news here as we round out your Bank headlines of the day for UCLA's Jalen Clark, the forward officially out for the season with an Achilles injury. Sources confirmed to ESPN. Clark suffered the injury in Saturday's regular season men's basketball finale against Arizona, exiting the game with a leg injury and later returning to the bench with crutches and his right foot in a boot. Losing Clark will be a massive blow to UCLA's national championship hopes. He's the Bruins' best defender and one of the best defensive players in the country all around this season, averaging 13 points and 6 rebounds per game, also putting up 6.7 points and 3.8 rebounds off the bench a year ago. He was named the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. So for those of you out there working on scratching together a bracket or starting to think about it, UCLA might deserve a little bit of pause here and nothing that they did, but again, a crucial injury for the Bruin men's basketball program as everybody gets geared up for Selection Sunday and the uh, tournament finales coming up for the Pac-12, Big Ten, ACC, SEC, and Big 12. Last but most certainly not least here as we wrap up your Bank headlines of the day, two men who were in a Phoenix hotel lobby the night that Hall of Fame wide receiver Michael Irvin was accused of misconduct with a female employee said yesterday that they didn't see him do anything wrong and that his brief interaction with the woman appeared friendly. Phil Watkins of Australia and Bryn Davis of Philadelphia appeared at a news conference by video link with Irvin and his attorney. Irvin has filed a $100 million defamation lawsuit against a Jane Doe and Marriott, alleging that a false misconduct claim back on February 5th caused him to be kicked out of the Renaissance Phoenix downtown hotel and be removed from NFL Network's Super Bowl week coverage. Watkins said that he saw nothing at all, quote, and that he would be considered that would be considered inappropriate and that he that Irvin and the woman shook hands and laughed. And Watkins adds there was nothing untoward out of the interaction adding that Irvin soon left for the elevator as the woman went back toward the bar. Very interesting situation. Again, Michael Irvin uh, did get uh, relieved of his coverage for NFL Network and a big defamation lawsuit hinging on all of this. We'll keep you updated on that situation as we move forward. Immediately next, it's all Twins Talk with Chris Atterbury of the Minnesota Twins Radio Network. Get an update on Minnesota as opening day is at the end of the month. Believe it or not, I know it's snowing outside, but baseball cranking up here on March the 30th with the opener for the Minnesota Twins. Chris Atterbury next here on Overtime. We're going far beyond it. Entertaining. This is Overtime with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO. Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Game number one of the girls' state high school basketball tournament coming into the fourth quarter now. Washington on top of Watertown, 39-17 to in Class AA. Just over seven minutes to go there from the Pentagon. Let's shift gears now and talk a little baseball on this snowy Thursday. Believe it or not, the Twins will open the season less than a month from today on the road at Kansas City on March 30th. Joining us now on the ESPN Hotline to talk Twins and Major League Baseball is Chris Atterbury with the Minnesota Twins Radio Network. Chris, welcome back into the show. We've made it to March. How are things going for you? Well, we had that 20 inches of snow. I shoveled out, flew to Florida. When I got back, 
I shoveled my way to my front door because we're in another blizzard. So, hey. <laughs> so hey, it was uh, nice to see some baseball and some green for a while, and now I'm watching it snow again. Yeah, so things are going great is what you're telling me. So I appreciate <laughs> you being on with us. Uh, spring training in full swing for the Twins, playing uh, just about every day these days. Yesterday, the Twins uh, got a win over the Blue Jays 7 to nothing. How are things going for Minnesota down in Florida, and anything stand out to you thus far? Yeah, you know, for me, uh, what stood out, I mean, uh, 10 days in camp was the vibe is really good. I know that's a, that's kind of like say the culture or the vibe, you know, everyone's got a different word for it, but there's just a real positive energy about the club. Uh, very focused, not a lot of distractions, you know, in the past, the distractions could have been, Oh, Carlos is going to opt out or this guy's hurt. And I just, there wasn't a lot of that going on. You know, every team's its own thing, right? Every, every club has its own unique character to it. And you can change people in and out of the clubhouse, and, and, and that character changes. And whatever they've done this year, it's a really, really uh, unified group, and, and it's got a really good feel to it. And that wasn't the case last year. I'll be honest. Like, we had good players. We had good people. But um, it, it never felt that way. It felt very paranoid, felt very closed off a little bit at times, almost nervous. Uh, and this group feels really, really uh, alive and positive and, and together. And I think that Twins fans will welcome that report with open arms, Chris. I know that uh, there's many of areas, Mary, any areas of emphasis this offseason for Minnesota. Of course, retaining Carlos Correa was a huge get, but let's talk pitching first. Uh, that certainly was an area of emphasis for the franchise this offseason. Uh, how has the pitching staff come together thus far? And, and again, looking for standouts and people that may have surprised you, uh, what are some, some big storylines from the pitching crew? I guess for me, it's the fact that I wasn't surprised. We, we've got more good pitching than we've had in a long, long time. I don't know that we have any great pitching. I, I don't know that we, we don't have, you know, Cy Young pitching necessarily, but we've got really good pitchers and more of them than ever before. Kenta Maeda looks sharp. Pablo Lopez is really good. People are going to love Pablo Lopez. Tyler Maui is healthy. Sonny Gray is healthy and sharper than he was at all last year, and he was really good in the second half of last season. There, there's four really legitimate guys, and I haven't even gotten to Joe Ryan, who started on opening day last year and is a much improved pitcher with a much better breaking ball. This sets up to be a team that conceivably can have five starters in St. Paul who all have not just had big league time, but have had big league success. And, and that's what you need, because one thing we know is that you're never going to have five healthy starters who all make 30 starts. It just doesn't happen. You need eight to 10 starters. And I think for the first time in a while, the Twins have eight to 10 starters. So I just think the this is going to allow them to pitch deeper into games. I know a lot was made last year, and I certainly was, was right there about, oh, my God, the starters are going four innings. It's not sustainable. It's going to kill your bullpen. Guess what? It did. Well, there's no Chris Archer's, no Dylan Bundy's in this group right now, and I think that's really good. Very good news. I know it's frigid out here and snowing outside in Sioux Falls, but you're making all the Twins fans out there feel very warm and toasty about this team, Chris. I'll tell you what, as uh, we're talking with Chris Atterbury, Minnesota Twins Radio Network broadcaster, let's talk on the offensive side now. As you look at the lineup for the Twins on paper, do you think uh, this group offensively has a, a pretty high ceiling, assuming everyone stays healthy this year? I think definitely a high ceiling. The assumption part is the big deal, right? Like yep. as, as good as the club looked in the in the eight games I watched and in the, in the ten days I was down there, Byron didn't play in a game. Corey Polanco didn't play in a game. 
Miranda, who was mashing, was still limited to DH only because he couldn't throw. Kirloff didn't play the game, and, and Larnick was hurt. Now, Larnick's been back, which is good. Gordon got hurt, which is bad. Um, but those guys are going to have to play. Now, I talked with Derek Falvey, and he said, look, Byron hasn't played in a game on, on the big field, but he has more at-bats against live big league pitching than any of our guys on the backfield. And I understand all that. There's a time and a place for it. But you need to see the guys in games, um, and we haven't seen that yet. I'm not too worried about it, but those are big pieces. You know, Byron, Jorge, those are big pieces. Now, on the, on the bright side, I think Joey Gallo's had a strong swing, uh, spring. And I think more importantly for me, Max Kepler's had a good spring. Max has had a couple of really bad years. He, he wasn't good last year. Mm-hmm. He wasn't good the year before. And he had that, that 2019 where he was amazing. And physically, he's a work of art. And he's a really interesting dude. And he can get in his own head sometimes. And he can overthink sometimes. But he is he has really leveled out his swing. He's hitting the ball consistently and hard. And he just seems happier at the ballpark, which I put a lot of stock in. Now, he didn't seem like a very happy guy who wanted to be at the ballpark the last couple of years. And I say this having known him since he was a teenager. Uh, so I feel like I have a pretty good sense of it. I think Max's health and happiness and swing are a big, big part of the puzzle for this group. You know Correa is going to be good. We're better at catcher with Vasquez than, than we were last year. And, in fact, we have guys with big league experience in the minors at catcher, which is a, a big deal. I'm not worried about a, a lot of the veteran pieces, but I worry about Max. And I like what I've seen so far from him offensively. AL Central last season, the Twins finished in third at 78-84, and 84, three games behind the second-place White Sox and 14 behind Cleveland, who surged late to take the AL Central title. Uh, other big storylines this offseason, as we're talking with Chris Atterbury of the Minnesota Twins Radio Network, include, of course, the trade of, of one of the most solid guys in the league at getting on base, and that's Luisa Rice, uh, the new contract and retention of Carlos Correa, uh, let's talk about Correa. 22 homers along with 64 RBI last year, hit 291, 366, the on-base percentage. Uh, is it fair for fans to expect those numbers all to improve this year? I think so. I, they better, right? Yeah. Because the numbers, as, as, as fine as they are, those aren't $40 million a year numbers. Um, those aren't MVP numbers. You know, we heard all the talk, I want to go in the Hall of Fame. This and that. Well, those aren't Hall of Fame numbers. So let's go. Um, I, I'm hoping... That now that his long-term future is settled, Carlos will just settle into being the really good player that he is. He, he was good last year, but I think so much of last year it felt like he was running for off, you know, trying to prove that he was going to be worth a 10-year deal or a $300 million deal. Look at how much I know about analytics, and I'll help the pitchers, and I know all this, and I know all that. What a great teammate I am. I, I feel like he's just a good enough player and an effervescent enough guy naturally that if he can just get to the grind, which is really what he is at his core, the grinder, and just play, not worry about all that stuff, I think those numbers naturally will come. Look, he's the best shortstop we've had in a contract in a long time. It's not him. He's really talented. There's nothing he can't do. But he has to do more of it. Those numbers weren't great. He wasn't great in big spots until September when the team was already out of it. So we need more numerically from Carlos. And I don't think there's any reason to think you won't get it. Uh, he, he really is a, a really dedicated, really talented player. But look, the guy, you know, he was part of a big cheating scandal. He didn't put up great numbers last year. He left the team twice and then came back and said he wanted to be here all along. 
which I don't blame him for at all. Mm-hmm. Get all the money you can, and I feel lucky that we have him. I think he'll settle in, know this is his long-term home, and just be himself. Um, and I think the numbers will follow when that happens. Minnesota Twins open the season at Kansas City on March 30th, and they'll have their home opener not too long after as they play host to Houston on Thursday, April 6th, to open the home slate. The Twins have series at KC, at Miami, home to Houston and the White Sox before heading to New York to take on the Yankees April 13th through the 16th. Lastly here, Chris, uh, what are your thoughts on the uh, very early portion of the schedule this year for the Twins? Uh, it's weird, right? Casey Miami is a weird, weird bedfellow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the whole schedule, I'm excited about the, the balanced schedule, not playing Casey and, and everyone 19 times in your division. I'm excited that we'll see every team, but it's a little disjointed. It just feels a little uneven and it'll, it'll wait until we get into it to, to kind of find our footing in that regard. I will say one thing we haven't brought up, but that I, that I do like a lot. I was really pleased with the pitch clock shift stuff. In, in camp, you know, everyone was freaking out. I had friends say, "Oh, it's you can't have a clock and you can't ban shifts." And why isn't the game like it used to be? Well, because of the things that those people don't want, the game is kind of trying to be more like it used to be. So I, I found it very non-intrusive. I think the players are smart and gifted, and they'll adapt. I think the non-shift thing. I saw guys diving around all over the place. I saw teams running more. It just was more fun, and the, and the games were, were more action-packed. So now I may change my tune if a, if a game ends with you know a big divisional matchup with Cleveland and the bases are loaded and we're about to win the game and they call an automatic strike three and the game ends in anticlimactic fashion, I might be unhappy. But mm-hmm. I, I think fans are not going to be nearly as bothered by or even notice these new regulations, but I think they're going to like the effect that they have. Chris Atterbury, our guest here on Overtime. Chris, it's always a blast to talk to you. I'm glad that you got down to Florida and got a little sunshine in your life. But uh, welcome back to the Midwest, buddy. We hope to do it again soon. (laughs) All right, we'll do it. We'll talk to you then. Absolutely. Minnesota Twins broadcaster Chris Atterbury, our guest. We are your home for Twins baseball here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. You can catch every Twins game This season right here on your Sioux Falls Sports Leader. Coming up next, we will get you the latest on what is a suddenly very large amount of big injuries in the NBA and also touch base on some of the other big stories from across the league. That's next right here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO, your home for Minnesota Twins baseball. You can get more online at ESPN Sioux Falls. Overtime with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO. Right back with you on hour number two here of Overtime. Final from the Girls State Basketball Tournament in the Pentagon. Washington wins the first game across the tournaments across the state. 48-24 to over Watertown. Washington will now await the winner of Jefferson and Mitchell. That game gets going here at 145. We will get to the latest NBA injuries and news here in just a moment. But first, if it's your birthday out there, have a happy one. And there's a birthday out there that's really special and near to dear, near and dear to me, and that is the first birthday of the little girl that made me an uncle. So if you'll indulge me, here we go. 
Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sophie. Happy birthday to you. Sophie, I appreciate you. You are the absolute best little girl born in Alaska, soon to be an Idaho girl. We all love you very much, Sophie. Happy first birthday from all of us here with ESPN Sioux Falls. Now on to the NBA. There is a growing possibility, as you can turn your radios back up now, that Chicago Bulls guard Lonzo Ball will need a third surgical procedure on his right knee that will likely require another six months of recovery and rehab, sources told ESPN on Thursday. Ball, who hasn't appeared in an NBA game since January 14th of 2022, has been ruled out for the remainder of this season and has undergone two surgeries on that troublesome knee in the past 14 months. The big news from last night, Kevin Durant injured in pregame warm-ups after he slipped and sprained his left ankle during warm-ups on Wednesday, knocking him out of what was supposed to be his first home game with the Suns. The team is hopeful that Durant avoided a serious sprain, but he is scheduled for an MRI today to determine the severity of the injury. Suns coach Monty Williams. I feel bad for him because he feels bad. I saw his face, and I've been around him so many times. I know what he's feeling, and I don't want him feeling that way at all. Devin Booker put on a show exploding for 44 points, but that is a big, big news article as to the future of that Suns team. Can KD return for the rest of the regular season, or at very least, could he be ready for the postseason, which, of course, matters so much more. Another big NBA star goes down last night. Dallas Mavericks guard Luka Doncic walked slowly into the postgame media room Wednesday night and cautiously took his seat at the podium. He had departed his team's loss at New Orleans in the third quarter because of a left thigh strain, something that has been bothering him for some time. When he asked how the thigh felt, Doncic chuckled and said, It's not good. Doncic said he would undergo an MRI today to determine the severity of the injury. Doncic has mentioned soreness in the left thigh when speaking to reporters following Saturday's game against the Suns, but he said Wednesday the injury has been lingering for longer than that. He says, I think it was the second game after the All-Star break, something like that. The Mavs' second game was against the San Antonio Spurs, a 142-116 win, but again, things not looking good across the wide spectrum of the NBA with those latest injuries. Well, we have to get a break, but immediately next, we're absolutely jazzed and ready to roll and start your engines, if you will, for this next interview, as we'll have Doug Wolfgang, racing legend, living in Sioux Falls right now, join us here in the studio, and we're very excited to talk all things auto racing, talk about the Daytona 500, which wrapped up earlier uh, last month, and the current state of NASCAR, how plugged in is he, and so much more. Doug Wolfgang is next as we'll round out the Thursday edition of Overtime after this, right here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. up on your smart device. Now let's get you back to overtime with Burt Ramin on ESPN 102.3 and AM 1000 KSOO. All right, we are back on overtime, and we've talked a little auto racing lately here on the show, the Daytona 500, things uh, 
getting wrapped up Las Vegas and California, the recent races on the schedule. And now we're going to talk with Sioux Falls native and retired American racing driver Doug Wolfgang here on the show. And Doug, uh, it's an absolute blast and pleasure to speak with you. I know you've got a long and storied history in auto racing uh, here locally and nationally. Uh, it's just a blast to, to be with you today, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me very much. I appreciate it. Um, as far as your career goes, Doug, of course, uh, the longevity, very impressive. Um, and there's so many success stories out of your career. What is a big kind of takeaway when you look back at things nowadays and envision how it all started for you, how you got involved in racing and, and your journey throughout? What are some big takeaways for you personally? Well, the takeaway is I'm, I was real lucky. I got to do something for most of my adult life until I was 40, 40 years old, uh, something that I enjoyed to do. I couldn't wait to get out of bed in the morning to do it. I didn't want to go to sleep at night because I wanted to do more of it and work on the cars, get ready, get ready to go to the track. And I think, uh, you know, I've been home now for 30 years because I'm 70 now. And I see people around, I go to the gym a lot, and I see people that don't like their jobs. They do it for money only, uh, you know, uh, and I think I was lucky. That's my biggest takeaway. I did a job that I loved. I would have done it for nothing, and I got paid pretty good money to do it. I think they call that a passion, right? So, I mean, yep. that's that's kind of what you're hinting at is, is doing what you love, and, and it makes just such a, a world of difference both obviously personally and professionally. If you do what you love, you'll work harder at it, and you'll want to wake up every day and do it, and you'll go to bed thinking about how you can be better every day. Um, when you look back on the career, obviously you've got started uh, around uh, teenage years and then got into sprint car racing, one of the most successful uh, sprint car drivers uh, of all time. You've got the uh, fifth most all-time wins at the World of Outlaws with 140 wins. Um, do you have a favorite win or race or place to race from the past? Well, naturally, the first place people think I like the most is Knoxville, Iowa, because it's yep. it, Knoxville is the is the home of the Knoxville Nationals, which in sprint car racing is like the Daytona 500 or in IndyCars, the Indianapolis 500. And, and I was lucky enough to win it five times in, in, when I raced. And so they think that. But really, the truth is my favorite track was Houston's because it's where I grew up as a kid, and it was only, you know, less than 10 miles from my house. And uh, and a lot of times when I raced, it didn't matter if I got lapped, run second, or won. When the lights went out and everybody else went home, I had 20 hours to go to get home because I was always gone a long way from home. So I, my, my favorite all-time track because of that is, is the track here in town. And tell me a little bit more about... Uh you presently are you involved in racing at all do you do you look to mentor young racers or anything like that are you involved at, at any tracks i i am not i i was for a long time after i got injured and i was done driving professionally i had a i had a business here in town that i built race cars and and built sprint cars and i tried to help as many as as many of the young kids as i could and and i was involved in that for about 25 years but I sold, I sold out about four or five years ago and retired, and now I, uh, to tell you the truth, I've been to the track. I started 2,500 main events myself. I haven't been to the track much lately because 
uh, mostly because if I miss one race, I've already gone to so many of them that, that I'm not burned out. I still enjoy it. I still pay attention to it every day. I just don't go as much as I did. As far as uh, the NASCAR circuit goes, do you ever uh, catch yourself watching those and taking those races in? Did you catch the Daytona this year? Yes, I did. I catch. I, I catch most of them every I might not watch the whole thing but I know what's going on and I know uh I know that you know what race they're at and I have a lot of friends that race down there and hang out so I keep I pay attention Doug Wolfgang our guest here on Overtime ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO uh Doug let's talk a little bit about your career from start to finish we talked about the the early start and and the success you had uh, of course, uh, April 3rd, 1992 uh, was the day of the injury for you. Take us through the crash and, and how that changed your perspective and your mind uh, as a race car driver and as a person. Well, it changed everything because it pretty much ended my career. But uh, I had already raced several years by that time, 18 or 20 years just about. And uh, we were at a, we were actually only at a practice session. It was a half-mile pavement track in kansas city and uh, and the left front tire went down and i hit the inside guardrail coming off the corner right in front of the grandstand it shot across the racetrack and hit at about a 45 degree angle to the to the cement wall and i think on that particular track it's a half mile sweeping track and on blacktop you could run about 140 so it hit it at about 140 mm. and and uh you know it stretched me out uh, it hit sideways so it stretched me out and i hit my head on the wall i got a got a head injury you know a, i don't know what you call it uh i broke my neck broke my sternum broke my pelvis broke a couple bones in my legs uh two or three uh toes but then it caught fire as it slid down the blacktop and I was practicing that moment on a full load of fuel. So it ruptured the main fuel line, which was a three quarter inch diameter line. So it was just siphoning fuel out. And when the sparks were flying off the racetrack, it caught fire and they just didn't have enough stuff to put it out right Mm. away. And luckily it was laying on the track and spun down around. It was laying on the track where the fuel wasn't actually flowing right into the cockpit. But it caught a lot of things on fire, and I sat there and and got roasted pretty good. It was kind of like uh, the tur- being the plastic turk, you know, the turkey in a plastic sack. It roasted me very well done. Very tough uh, memory there, as far as that April third, nineteen ninety two uh, crash and injury. Doug Wolfgang, our guest here, talking auto racing on overtime. The National Sprint Car Hall of Fame inductee in two thousand three, South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. In 07, also in the Nebraska Auto Racing Hall of Fame. Doug, what keeps you busy these days? What are you into? I'm into my grandkids. I got <laughs> I got eight of them. Wow. And uh, six boys. Any, two, any racers? Two, no, I I don't think so. I'm not sure. We might have one that likes motorcycles. My mm. son was a motorcycle racer, and he raced a little cars, too. Uh, and his little boy's five years old. He's got a little... Uh, little motocross bike now so he he might like to ride but i we we don't push nothing on them. Yeah. whatever they like they like for sure uh, there we go to all the basketball and football games you know at harrisburg and around there a lot of a uh, couple of them younger kids go to harrisburg and 
and uh my you know so we're we're into just sports you know very good stuff doug wolfgang our guest here on overtime espn 102.3 am 1000 kso well we kind of dissected uh your career and, and things of that nature when you're following racing today um i spent some time in north carolina doug and that is a hotbed for racing and nascar my wife went to uh, high school is the same high school as Ryan Blaney, who's on the NASCAR circuit now. So that's kind of infused into the culture there in North Carolina. You hear all sorts of auto racing stories, the old dirt tracks and this and that, and went to college near North Wilkesboro Speedway in North Carolina. When you think about the culture of racing, do you think South Dakota in this area is very underrated piece and, and part of that puzzle of that culture? Well, it's not in North Carolina's class. Yeah especially yep. nowadays with the stock cars and stuff. But when I grew up in the, in the, you know, the seventies and the eighties in racing, Sioux Falls was a hotbed for race cars. And, uh, it was that way for several years at that time, even though it was, it's on, it was by far under the radar. It's, it's not like Charlotte, North Carolina, by no means, mm-hmm. but as far as short track, dirt track racing, it's as good as there is anywhere in the country, and I'm proud to be from here. Uh, it's not in it's not in the North Carolina League. Uh, you were talking about Ryan Blaney. Ryan, Ryan's dad, Dave, mm-hmm. is a big friend of mine. We still talk on the phone quite a bit. And in fact, Dave just turned sixty last fall. Wow. And Ryan texted me on the phone. He wanted me to get wanted to buy a Doug Wolfgang helmet from me to give to his dad. A you know a real one that I used to give to his dad for his for his sixtieth birthday, and I didn't have one. I'd given everything away that I had, so I I'm a big Ryan Blaney fan. Yeah, when you talk about uh, current racers, I was going to ask you that next, and that leads me into guys that you follow, guys that you enjoy watching. So Ryan Blaney is one of your favorite young guys. Is there other other guys might be finishing up their career, maybe a Kevin Harvick or somebody like that that you really follow on the NASCAR circuit. Uh, I don't know Kevin. I have never met Kevin, but he drives for Tony and uh, Tony Stewart, and and Tony was a big fan of mine growing up as a kid in in Indiana, and uh, he he liked you know Tony's from short track dirt track uh, racing, and he still likes to hire the dirt track guys if he can, and uh, and so it was fun to be. Tony used to go around and see me tire testing for Hoosier tires, which Hoosiers are built in Indiana, and uh, I was one of their lead drivers at the time. So you know we were buddies. Uh, uh, Jeff Gordon's dad had a machine shop in California, and he provided me with racing parts if I would help Jeff a little bit as he came along. And and when I mean help Jeff, Jeff was only sixteen years old when he showed up. So he was just a kid, and and Jeff was smart, and his dad was smart. When Jeff showed some promise, instead of steering him towards open wheel, they went to stock cars, and stock cars turned out to be big, and uh, and of course the rest is history. Jeff's a hero. So unbelievable just to hear these stories of man. I was helping mentor this young guy named Jeff Gordon. Went yeah. on to be such a dynamic race. When I was a kid, he was all the rage. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Had the rainbow Dupont car and. Everybody wanted to be Jeff Gordon, and he went on to have a, a Hall of Fame, an amazing career. Well, Doug, uh, it's an absolute blast to have you in studio. Doug Wolfgang, our guest here on Overtime. Uh, you're welcome back anytime you want. I, it's been a blast to talk auto racing with you today. Wish we had even more time 
uh, for continued talks and hope to do it again soon. Thanks a lot for having me. That's Doug Wolfgang, our guest here on the Thursday edition of Overtime. Absolute pleasure and honor to have him alongside in the studio today and uh, hope to check in again with him soon and uh, pick his brain about the current NASCAR season as well as a lot of the changes that are coming up uh, in that sport as it continues to evolve over the years. We saw some dirt track uh, recently, of course, saw the road courses, the road course road race coming in Chicago here soon and uh, Las Vegas getting involved in that uh, as well. So we got a lot going on in the world of racing and uh, that's one of the best ever to do it in the world of racing Doug Wolfgang. That'll put a wrap on the Thursday edition of the show. Coming up tomorrow, we'll put a wrap on the USF men's basketball season as we'll be joined by longtime head coach Chris Johnson to recap the Cougars season as they missed out on a regional berth this year after another strong season overall. So looking forward to that conversation. And we'll also recap the NFL Combine, look to what's ahead, and talk some risers and fallers from the Combine, including Anthony Richardson, Florida quarterback, with Joe DeLeon, as he will join us tomorrow on the program. That'll do it for today's show. As always, thanks for being along for the ride, Sioux Falls. We will talk to you tomorrow when overtime comes back at 11 a.m. right here on ESPN 102.3 AM 1000 KSOO. Every day.